fear is a very real part of our life experiences. Some of us would like to try to deny it or to ignore it. And I'm going to tell you, you can't. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit because Jesus talks about that. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to Luke, the 12th chapter. If you have one of those New Testaments, just turn to page 62 and you get there right away. Luke, the 12th chapter. I would encourage you to bring your Bibles because I ask you in your Bibles to circle things, underline things. Today I'm going to ask you to circle something and underline something that is very, very important for our lives. And see, if you don't have that, you can't take that later this week and look at that, or maybe you'll read Luke a year from now. And those underlined parts or those circle parts, you'll see those and you'll know, I've got to pay attention to what is being said here because it is of utmost importance. Because we tend to read the Bible and we're able to say, I've read the book of Luke, I've read the book of John, I've read the Bible. But you know what? We're the same person we were 25 years ago. I've pastored for four decades. I've known people for 15, 20 years who told me they had read the Bible through on a regular basis. And they were just as bitter 15 years after I met them as they were when I met them. And they were just as hateful toward people after those 15 years as they were before. You know, all they did was look at those words, read those words, but they never allowed the Spirit of God to have His way with those words in their lives. And so bring your Bible if you can. If you don't, now that's okay too, because we'll put the words on the screen. Boy, we were sort of a dangerous place this morning. Technology people, man, they are great. They're just working hard. So we didn't think we were going to have any screens. And if you wouldn't have had your Bible, you'd have had to just listen to me talk. And that's hard to stay awake if you don't follow. Okay? And so I'm so grateful for the technology people. But before I get into Luke, I want to call attention to some things. At your seat, you have seen for the last four weeks, okay, these brochures. Okay, I call them the VFG brochures, Vision from God. And you can read that, and most of you already know that, but there's been different people here every week. I've said before, if, if all our people came at the same time, we wouldn't, we'd be so crowded in here because we have that many different people. But we're the kind of people that some of us never been to church. We'll come two weeks and not come for a month and come back for a week or two or three or maybe for a month and then not show up. And so I just want you to see that because you see God is giving us a gift. Okay, through the people of Clearview Baptist Church. And, and so we together need to accept this gift, and this tells how we're going to do it. And then these envelopes, these envelopes will be every week, will be down on the first impression table. You can use those for the VFG gift if you want to, okay? Because we do want to have it designated. And so if you use your check, you need to somehow let that designation be done there so the treasurer, that's the only person who sees the money we get, or the checks we get, the treasurer needs to know what goes in the VFG and what goes in our budget offering. And we do need to keep our budget offering up because we still want to continue our ministries. We do not want the building. Don't worry about that. Just leave it down there. We don't want the building to preoccupy us. That's why we said we wouldn't even think about permanent property. We probably wouldn't have it for 10 to 15 years. And I always add, unless God gifts us the property. 
And that is what he has done. And if you read that and understand that, you'll know it is a gift. Okay? And so I do want to call attention to that. Uh, I want to call attention in your message map. On the second inside page, talks about the Bible like you've never seen it before. Starting this week, we're going to look at the entire Bible before the end, or we'll get to the end of the Bible, the New Testament part, at the end of December. If you've ever thought, I wish I understood how all the Bible fit together, we're going to do that in our connect groups. You won't understand that unless you make a commitment to go to a connect group. And so you can read that information. I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. You can see if you look at the connect group page, tonight we're, we're going to talk about, or not tonight, beginning today, the groups, because they meet during the week too, but creation, the story begins. I, I guarantee, I think most of you will see creation like you've never seen it before. You may understand it like you've never understood it before. So I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that, okay? And then I do want to call attention that beginning tonight on the History, history Channel, and, and you've got to be careful, some of these biblical programs you see on the History Channel, okay, and on Discovery. But tonight on the History Channel, at 7 o'clock, if you get the History Channel, they're beginning a five-week presentation called The Bible. It's going to be two hours long. And so it's, it's, it, I, think, I think from what I have picked up from others who have seen the previews of the series that it's going to be more accurate than probably what we've got before from the media. I'm always skeptical about the media, okay? But I would call attention to that. If you've got a chance to record that, and then you can watch it or Take time tonight. If I knew more about it, I would have probably encouraged our people to maybe get together in homes and not had connect groups tonight and 5, 7, 10, 15 people just sit and watch it and uh, maybe afterwards then uh, talk about it. But I'm just giving you that warning so you won't say later, boy, I wish I would have known that. Somebody should have told me. Then another thing, next week, it's time change week. So that means when you go to bed, okay, if you got automatic clocks, 2 o'clock, it's going to change to 3 o'clock, okay? So that means if you don't change your clock, if you're not aware of that, when you think it's 10.30 to be here at worship, we're going to be at 11.30. Are you following with me? And you do not want to miss next week. Can anybody tell me why? You ought to read your community email. You don't want to miss the topic next week, how to get rich. And you know what? Some of you will sleep through that. You will not come. Just like you sleep through in regard to material things and wealth. And so next week, I'm just telling you. Matter of fact, some of you, because you'll forget it next Saturday night, okay? When you go home after services today, you just turn your clock up an hour. Now, I know all week that's going to mess you up. But it won't mess you up for next Sunday, see? Okay? And so I just want to call attention to that. Don't forget that, okay? Now, let me say again what I said since I sort of got those out of the way because we don't normally make announcements. We don't normally talk about money, okay? Our people just put money in the box back there, and uh, we normally don't do that. But because of the property, we're, we're encouraging our people to join together, and I usually don't make a lot of announcements, okay? But uh, I want to say what I said at the beginning. Because I want us to think about fear. Fear is a very real part of life's experiences. You and I want to live without fear. It's impossible. Okay? 
because Satan knows to use fear to cause us to live below our potential. Satan wants me to feel that that pain I have might be my heart. And so whenever I come to worship today and somebody says, how you doing? My fear keeps me from enjoying that opportunity with that person. Satan wants me to get caught up with the economy that might affect my workplace and I could lose my job. And so whenever I come into the experience with my grandchild, he says, hey, grandfather, how you doing? I say, uh, you know, I try to be happy, but my fear keeps me from enjoying the potential of that experience. Satan uses fear to keep me to live below the potential that God intended for my life. Fear is very real. And Jesus is going to call attention to that. And we're going to look at that. But before we do, I want to give you two verses out of the Old Testament regarding fear. From the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is considered a book of wisdom. It doesn't read like Luke. Matter of fact, you've got to be careful. You can read one verse in Proverbs, verse 3, and verse 4 doesn't fit with it. Verse 2 doesn't fit with it. Proverbs are wise statements. They're not absolute statements. Some people use that with Proverbs. They're wise wisdom that's given from God through Solomon. And if we will put it with God's word, it tends to lead us in a direction where we live as people within the potential that God intended for our life. So I want you to look on the screen, okay, just for the sake of time, because you got Luke ready. Look on the screen. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. Catch that. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. If I had you open it, I'd tell you circle that statement or underline that statement. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. Your dad, your mom, your brother, your sister, your grandpa, your uncle, that person who touched you inappropriately, the person you got to go to work with. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But, 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 you know those buts are always big in the Bible. God believes in big buts. Okay? That's there. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But, Trusting the Lord means safety. Now, I don't have time to preach that. I'm over there praying as I'm singing, God, I got two hours of message to get out, and I only got an hour to do it. Okay? So I can't preach that, but I want to say this. Well, how does fearing people become a dangerous trap? Because what it does, if you're a young person, now it does old people too, but young people, it becomes a trap because you end up giving in to peer pressure. Not trusting the Lord, peer pressure, okay? As you grow older, this happens to young people, but it starts happening to middle-aged people, and as we get older, the old people, they get ornery, and so sometimes this isn't true. But we start becoming the trap is we become people pleasers. We don't give in to peer pressure as much, but you know we want to please the people around us all the time. And then we become old people, and we have this character trait in our life that the social sciences have called codependency, and we become codependent individuals, okay? That's how it becomes a trap. It just, it just slowly moves us, peer pressure, people pleaser, and now I'm codependent, and I'm telling you, my wife can do whatever she wants, but if I am codependent, it doesn't make any difference. If I'm 75 or 80 years old, it still causes me a great deal of trouble because it's a trap, and it's all based upon fear. Now, I want you to look at Proverbs, the first chapter. Look on the screen. It says, fear of the Lord 
Okay? Now, that's good fear. That's respect. That's what that means. That means believing what God says is true. Okay? God says if you forgive someone, you begin to feel his forgiveness. If you don't forgive someone, you don't feel his forgiveness. That's true, see? And so the respect for the Lord that believes what he says. So fear, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. True knowledge comes from fear of the Lord. That's why sometimes when you come and you ask me a situation, maybe in your life or it's with connection or, or some situations going on, I'm always trying to think, what has Jesus said? Has he ever had this encounter? Has he ever told this story? Has he ever tried to help somebody? Because you see, you and I are people just like the people he lived with. Or does God's word speak to this from some Old Testament example? You know, where is there something? Because it's the respect of the Lord that is the foundation for true knowledge. It's not, man, I've grown up and I'm very intellectual and I'm smart. Let me tell you something. I went to the university. Came out of rebellion with my folks. I began thinking intellectualism was it. And I questioned Christianity because, you see, those Christians don't think for themselves. They're just controlled. Okay? And I want you to understand, God doesn't want you to shut up the brain, but he gives you free will. And that free will means you can either choose to respect God and his word and what he says, or you can ignore it. And the beginning of true knowledge comes from respect of God. And I'll tell you this. Oh, man, this is where this sermon could be two hours. When education began in America, its foundation was the Word of God. They won't tell you that in your history class. In, they won't tell you that in history class in the high school, in the grade school, junior high, high school, or college. And yet it is definitely, I'm not revising history, they do. It definitely, the first thing our people, American people, learned to read was things that came from God's ideas. And then in 1935, 1940, the educationist America said, we can't use any of that because that's religious in connotation. And then we went to secular ideas. And you can teach people to be intelligent with secular ideas, but you tear a foundation down. Don't have time. That's two hours. Anybody want to go two hours this morning? Look, not one of you. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Afterwards, you two stay with me. <laughs> no, I don't want to be here two hours. Thank you, though. What a precious, precious kind gift to raise your hand. Everybody else didn't want to support me. I love you two guys, okay? If we're developing the right kind of fear, it's the kind of fear that fears what God says, what God wants, what God's going to do. In other words, it respects him. You see, I rebelled against my dad, okay, because I feared that his information would corrupt me. And now I've got mature because of some men who got God, mentored me in the words of God, and boy, I cry when I think of my dad because that man just loved me. Was he perfect? No. Did he impart some character defects? Sure. His dad did it to him. His dad just never talked about it. My dad never talked about it. So with my kids, I began talking about it, making them aware of it. But once I moved to the respect part, man, I could grow so close to him. Same thing with God. Okay? Matter of fact, look on your message map. You've got a page to put, fill in some blanks. So turn to that page for those blanks. Fill in that first blank. Look on the screen what it says there. I wrote this down there. The key. The key. You see, you need a key to start your car. Well, I know some of you, yeah, you still need a key. You've got to have it in your pocket, even though you can just push with your finger. You need a key to open the door. You need a key to unlock something. The key to knowing how to find, this is what we all want, how to find the peace and contentment God intended for your life is based upon your respect for God and what he says. 
And some of you tell how much you respect God. You see, you tell by whether you, you, do you ever even read the Bible? You tell by do you ever sing praise to God? Man, I'm excited about March. When Matt sent me the songs and it said with everything, that's one of my favorite songs. And I learned that here at Connection. With everything, I just get pulled in. God, I'm yielding myself. God, what do you want from Mike Davis? God, what can I do for you? The key, the key to finding the peace and contentment you want is not making more money. It's not finding the right person. It's not gaining more knowledge. It's not having more possessions. But it is based upon your respect for God and what he says. Okay? So now we're going to go to Luke and we're going to see what Jesus says about because he's going to get into this fear. I want to tell you, chapter 12, I think it's it's extremely important chapter. I told you when I started Luke, you should never miss. You should never miss until we get done with Luke. That means some of you have perfect attendance for probably two and a half years. <laughs> I never intended for it to go this long. I thought I'd hit chapters instead of just verses. But I think chapter 12 is extremely important to find this key. I really do. So if, if you can grab a Bible and you can bring it doing chapter 12, so you can mark some things, bring it. But please, if you've got to miss, don't miss what Jesus is going to say in chapter 12. Okay, before I go, Matt's prayed some very special requests to God. I want to join with him. Would you just bow with me as I pray? Father, thank you. Help us. Everything Satan can use, he'll use to pull our minds, our thoughts away from this time. This is gold, God. This is the best investment advice that we're going to receive. This is the best romantic advice we will receive. Help us, God. Help us to be able to appropriately receive it, understand it, and then live it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So look at verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling around, milling around and stepping on each other. Now, now catch, catch the scene, okay, because it's very important to know how important these words are. This is sort of like a concert venue that's going on. Jesus, Jesus has left, a, he did most of his early ministry in Galilee, which is up north of the promised land of Israel. And then you, you go down to Jordan River and you come through Samaria on this side or as a good Jew would do, you're not going to go where the poor people live, those, those not poor people, those people you're prejudiced to. You always stay out of their neighborhood. You drive around or you go across the Jordan River and then you come across down here near Jericho, you cross again, then you go to Jerusalem and that's the metropolitan area. And Jesus did just a great deal of his ministry up here in Galilee. Okay, remember when, when, when one of his disciples went to another and said, hey, we found the Messiah, he's from Galilee, and he said, can anything good come from Galilee? Galilee was not a very good area, okay? Okay? And now Jesus, I told you, in chapter 9, Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. He's going to spend some months traveling, and it wouldn't take months to get from Galilee to Jerusalem, but he's going to take some months making that trip. And he's going to teach some very, very, very insightful things for your life and for mine, for their life, but for your life and for mine, okay? And so as he's going, listen, it's like a concert venue everywhere he goes. The crowds are big. 
Luke says, I talked to people, because Luke wouldn't have been with Jesus, and they said there were thousands of people. You see, they would have been excited. They, 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 would, have been, they, would, have been, they would have been expecting. You've got to understand, if, if, if we could go back and look at the demographics, the way people lived back then, until you got to Jerusalem, the closer you get, a little bit better, but most of the towns are 100 people or less. So Jesus isn't going to, 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 to uh, uh, Belleville, close to St. Louis. Jesus is still hanging out in the country areas. And so if you've got thousands of people, you've got people, listen, you've got people planning days ahead to leave their little bitty town village, some of them be 20 and 50 people, and they're going to go to where Jesus is at because they know when Jesus is there and he speaks, something happens. And it's still true today if you pay attention to what he says. Man, they're all excited. Somebody says, Jesus, I've said this before in Luke. Some people say, you know, I'm not into church. I'm a street preacher. Because Jesus was a street preacher. Jesus wasn't a street preacher. He went to the synagogues. He went to the temple. It's just that we find him out on the hillside. We find him on the streets. We find him on the roads. Because that's the only way you get all these people together. They didn't have all these arenas and, and, and dome stadiums. Jesus is just speaking for God. Be careful. Somebody try to come along with you and shoot the church down because... The New Testament teaches us that the church is the family of God. Of course, you know, there are some in your family that like to just shoot your mom and dad down or shoot you down and just destroy the family. They bring havoc every time. And there's people who say, I know Jesus and I know God, and they just always attacking God's family. Jesus isn't a street preacher. He's just where the people are and where he can get them together. And it has become a big deal to the average person to be where Jesus is going to be, to get a chance to hear him, to experience the presence of God here on earth. Now look, one goes on. Jesus turned first to his disciples. Understand, he's going to say something that you really got to want to hear. Okay? Now, all the people are going to hear this, but he wants his disciples to hear it. You see, because it's the disciples that he's going to use to impact the world. As Luke wrote in the book of Acts, those followers of Jesus were used to turn the world upside down. Okay, in that area, because they taught what Jesus taught and how to live and how to love. Now, he's saying this to all the people, but those who say, we're following you, Jesus, man, we've committed ourselves to you. Now, listen, down the road, they're all going to run away when trouble comes, just like sometimes you and I do. I don't want to go to church today. I don't want to read my Bible today. I don't want to pray. I don't want to do what God wants you to do because a little trouble comes in your life or a lot of trouble. But look what he says. The next two words, it says, Jesus turned... First, his disciples, and circle the next two words, because you should always read those two words when you get to this 12th chapter. Warn them. He warned them. In other words, that is like a, a, a red light that ought to blink in your Bible every time you get there, because it's saying, uh-uh, what is he warning them of? What is he telling them is very important? Now, look what he says. Beware of the yeast, okay? Now, I thought but I didn't want to do that to our sermon. I was going to explain to you yeast and give you illustrations of yeast and all that. But what I did, I went to the biblical scholar in my house and I asked her, what does yeast do? And that's Laura. And as I understand from her explanation, you know how biblical scholars are. They always take too long to give you an answer. Okay? Just basically, I picked up that yeast affects the things that's around in its proper situation. Okay? 
I don't have to explain more. So what Jesus is saying now, he's saying, beware of the effects of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the religious people. Please, he got on the religious people. In the end of chapter 11, there's no chapter 12. Luke didn't write in chapters. That came along about 300 years later after Luke wrote so we could find our place in the Bible. Luke just is moving from one encounter with the religious people to another. So he says, beware of the yeast, the effects, okay, that the Pharisees, the religious people, can have. See, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And look how he describes it, their hypocrisy. Okay? Now, I don't think I need to talk a lot about hypocrisy. It's just what it is. These are people who say we are religious. We love God. Now, you know that because we do everything God wants us to do. And they look good, okay? They may say the right words, but inside, they don't care dilly about what God wants, okay? It's all about what they want. It's all about what they want. See, some of you, some of you, when we did with everything, man, tone it down, or he did the music too loud, okay? But I'm telling you, you know what I saw whenever I was doing this? I saw Rocky, see? Now, now, some of you near my age, a little bit older, Rocky, you know, Sylvester Stallone. See the young people, you older folks connecting with me? And man, I saw Rocky, and he's in the arena, and he's, he's really fighting, you know, and it looks like he's losing, and he comes back. And when he starts coming back, if you watch, the crowd starts getting into Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. Even, even in every one of those, Rocky, Rocky. And as they got louder, whoa, you know, they're really getting into it, but they're saying Rocky, Rocky. All of a sudden, I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm, I'm sitting forward going, Rocky, Rocky. I'm emotionally pulled into it. Are you following with me? Thanks, man. Thanks for you and Ben trying to do that. And see, boy, Rocky's all about manly stuff. See? Of course, if they meet Rocky today, it'd be punch, punch, kick. Punch, punch, chop. Okay? Because, you know, it's changing a little bit. And I know some of you old men say, that's not the way you fight. Hey, you use your fist. Meet a guy that uses his legs too. You're going to lose every time. But see, what is happening? Because these people are getting around Jesus. And he, the first thing he says in this experience when Luke says, there is a literally multitude of people around him. They are stepping on each other. They are so excited. Excuse me, but I want to be closer. Oh, man, they are so caught up. And he first looks at the disciples. But everybody, what did he say? Say that again. Pass that down. And I'm going to tell you something. The more important... God's work comes on earth, the more Satan pays attention to it. And you can be sure, in the midst of these people, are the religious people. He said, beware of the religious people. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. In other words, they said they love God, but they don't care about what God wants. It's all about what they want. That's what he's saying. See, religious people tend to pick fights. They do. You're ever around them. They tend to pick fights. You see, they don't really want what God wants. They want what they want. I watched our technology people. They did not fight with each other. Now, I think some of them are holding some words back. But they kept throwing out ideas. I just said to them, hey, let's don't take this personal. We're all working together. I said, it's, 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 like, it's like Cuba is attacking the United States. And we're the inner circle. And we can't start attacking each other. We've got to figure out how we're going to defend the United States without having a terrible war. And you know what? They worked together. And what they thought maybe 
Because we heard a few, maybe we're not going to be able to use the screens. Oh, no. Came about. Came about. You see, religious people like to pick fights. Religious people tend to not understand what's happening about them because religious people only want it their way. Religious people don't really sense the hurt that's going on in the people, other people's lives. They just don't want the discomfort in their own life. That's what religious people do. That's the hypocrisy. Knowing truth but not living it. Knowing you ought to bring God's comfort but not giving it, see? Knowing that you ought to say, God, what would you want us to do? But really not caring about what God wants because I want us to do what I want us to do. Look at the next blank in your message map. Jesus is warning his followers about religious people and their hypocrisy. You see, now I'm going to sum it up. The hypocrisy of the religious people is that they are not, and those are the key words. I just put some adjectives behind that. They are, or verbs, whatever those are, they are not gentle, they are not kind, they are not loving, they are not forgiving. Matter of fact, some of you have 10 churches, some religious people, and you know they still talk about that pastor, they still talk about those deacons, they still talk about that young person, they still talk. And you know what? It's been... 10 years, 5 years, 15 years since that situation. The hypocrisy of religious people is they're just not going to do what God wants. They hold on to what they want. Look at verse 2. The time is coming, he says, when everything that is carved up will be revealed. I'm, I'm sorry, everything that is covered up will be revealed. And all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. In other words, Jesus says, I want you to understand something. Now look, this is all in context. Some people pull this out and they'll put it somewhere else. He's saying, in regard to these people who are practicing hypocrisy, look, we all are hypocrites sometimes. Man, I wish I could talk about that. But these people, they say they love God and they don't. They love themselves. Okay? And he says, I want you to understand, there's coming a time it's all going to be revealed. Their falseness will be made known. They can say all they want about God. I want to take you to Jesus' words where he told his disciples there's going to be some who say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, oh, man, I don't know you at all. Depart from me. They're going to say, but we stood up and preached from the pulpit. We prayed over people that they would be healed. We did all these spiritual things. And he's going to say, you never did God's will. It was all your emotional tricks. It was all your agenda. And he's going to say, leave me alone. That's judgment talk. And so he's saying here to these multitudes who are oppressed by the religious people, okay? He's saying, I want you to understand, there's going to come a time, it's judgment day, and their falseness will be known, okay? That's what he's trying to say. Religious people like to say, I have a right to judge you. You're not doing it right, but don't you judge me that I'm not doing it right. Jesus says, there's going to come a time, they're going to be judged. Now he goes on. Look at verse 4. Dear friends, now this is in relationship to this religious people hypocrisy, okay? He says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that, okay? What he's trying to say is religious people tend to be bullies. And they'll beat you up until they sort of can rob you of your life. He says, kill your body. Now, I want you to understand something. Now, we've got we to understand. We move beyond the Jew who is in the temple or in the synagogue. He's moving to people who live by their religious code, and they oppress you because you don't live by their religious code. Some people intellectually live by their secular religious code of knowledge 
and they oppress you because you won't live by that code. So I want you to understand, some daddies and mamas were raised a certain way, and their kids just aren't that way, and they will oppress their kids with their religious upbringing, not, not in the sense of God, but what they were taught. You ought to go to bed early. You ought to get up early. Okay? They'll, do the, they'll say those things, and they'll oppress a child who doesn't understand that, or they'll really wipe out a young person. Okay? Now, I can quote Scripture. When we get mature, we ought to understand we've got to get our sleep. But, but I'm just telling you, religious people, people who decide they're the judge, they are bullies. And what they do, they beat you up. They almost want to take the life from you. And some of us are religious bullies like that. Whether it's in relation to God or just what we think people ought to do or play or how they ought to act. And we need to apologize to each other. We need to say, I'm sorry. I'm going to get that in a little bit because Jesus is going to talk about that. But he's just trying to tell us that remember, in the context of what he's talking about, that religious people, they want to just rob your life. You see, religious people threaten. They don't trust God. Religious people want to point out what's wrong. They don't trust God. Religious people want to humiliate and tear down anything, anyone that's different from them. They don't trust God. See, religious people, they always want to call attention to what's different from what they think is the way it ought to be done. And it even comes in the church that way. And that could add to this, and I don't want to take time. I just want to tell you, some of us, we are cowering people with fear because of what a preacher, a teacher, a parent, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a peer group, and they have beaten us down because we don't live by their standards. We don't behave by their standards. And, oh, we smile and we work and we're responsible. But our fears are, you know what? My life doesn't mean a whole lot. I'm not very significant. If I could really talk about what's hurting me, nobody would want to be around me. And Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful of being around people like that because they're like yeast. And what they start doing, listen. If your dad and mom was that way and they didn't call attention that that's not the correct way, you have become that way. They're children. If you work with people like that and you go to that job and you want to live and love like Jesus but they're not that way and you don't realize the yeast of people like that and it impacts you pretty soon, you're not a very nice person at work. You see, because that kind of attitude is infectious. But so is living and loving like Jesus. But see, he's trying to tell them, be aware of people like this. And then what he does in verse 4 and 5, in those two verses, he says fear, he uses the word fear three times, and he uses the phrase don't be afraid once. Just in these two verses, real quick. Because he knows we're living like that. Because we've been beat down by our dad, our brother, someone else. Okay? Because they want us to live like them. They don't want us to find God's potential for our life. They want us to live what they think is the potential of their life. That's why some of you, you shouldn't be teaching your kids sports because you're trying to live through your kid that they be like you. And all you're going to do is leave your kid with something empty. He may be a great sports player, but he's going to be empty. You know why? Because you're empty. You're empty. And I'm going to tell you, if you're grandpa and grandma and you've got a kid like that that's doing that with your grandchild... Don't do it in front of your grandchild, but you ought to just sit down and say, hey, you know, if you're finding some answers in life, we did a lot of sports with you. 
It doesn't. Doesn't do. Doesn't do. And then you just leave it there and let the Holy Spirit of God speak to them about that and their child, and they'll begin identifying some of the emptiness. Then you talk about maybe your own life testimony and how you succeeded in sports, but how you couldn't succeed in relationship with mom or dad, how you couldn't succeed in relationship of controlling your sexual urges, how you couldn't control your own language you would speak. How lost you really felt, even though you might have been a star. You see, because this kind of attitude is infectious like yeast, and it's going to affect everything around it. And so look what he says in 4. He says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those. Say, don't be afraid of those who want to rob you of your life. Don't be afraid of them, okay? Because all they can do is kill your body. In other words, you, you, mean, you mean there's something more hurtful than dying, than death, physical death? And Jesus saying yes. And see, people who don't understand who God the Father and God the Son is, they think this is all there is to life. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of those people. All they can do is hurt you physically. All they can do is snuff out your breath. In other words, there's something more. Look at verse 5. But I tell you, I tell you what you ought to fear. He says, I tell you whom to fear. Okay? Fear God who has the power to kill you. And look what he says. And then throw you into hell. Oh, I didn't want to read that. I meant to just mark that out of the Bible. Okay? Because, you see, we don't like to talk about hell. I just want to tell you this. The person of the Bible who talked more about hell than any other person is Jesus. And so if hell isn't a reality, Jesus is a liar. And you might as well decide. You're the truth teller and Jesus is a liar. And there's a lot of people, even in churches, that have dismissed Jesus' truth. Because you see, they're religious. And they become infectious with it. And so he says, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell? Yes, he's the one to fear. In other words, there's more to fear than just dying physically. It's what happens after you die you've got to think about. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now look on your message map to the next blank. Listen to me. Look at that. For the person who does not belong to Jesus, this life is as good as it gets. When you reread this and you read what Jesus said, I want you to understand, for the person who does not belong to Jesus, this is your heaven. You can make all the money you want. You can have sex with all the people you want. You can discard this person. You don't care about God's commitment to this person, and you can go after another person. And you can find happiness for these three years and then discard that person and find it for these three years until you finally get old. So I better quit discarding them or I won't have anybody to spend time with. See, you can, you, you can drive the best vehicles, but I'm telling you, if you don't belong to Jesus, this is the best it gets. This is the best. It doesn't get any better for you. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you understand why you ought to fear that? Because I'm going to tell you, there's not anybody here who's not feeling the pressure of this life experience and not feeling sometimes that you don't have it together and not feeling the fear sometimes that you're going to miss out. And you young people, what do we old people do? You better decide what you're going to do with your life. You're going to waste your life. I'm telling you, my children learn. Not until you're about 35 do you have to get caught up in that kind of expression. Because you'll hate going to school. You'll hate trying anything. All you'll want to do is sleep through that kind of pressure. But that's what, that's what religious people do. Not God people. 
people who think they got all the answers. And if you don't belong to Jesus, this is the best. You got it, man. This is the best. This is your heaven. But one day, listen, one day you know it's true. No, you're not going to believe it. It's true. No, I don't believe it's going to happen to me. It's true. If you don't believe it's true, go get your family portraits, find great-great-granddaddy, and introduce him to me. You can't. He's dead. You see, because one day you're going to die. And when you die, this was the best you had. It doesn't get any better. That's what Jesus says. It becomes, listen, apart from him, it becomes eternal insecurity. It becomes eternal torment and suffering. And so what people do who don't want to have to deal with that, they say, I won't believe it. So what you've got to decide now, don't worry about them. You've got to decide. Then is Jesus a liar? And are they the truth tellers? And hang out with them and you'll find out they're not the truth tellers. But it's not really important what they're saying. It's what you say. See? Look at the next blank. Because it's the opposite. For the person who belongs to Jesus, this life is as bad as it gets. It didn't get any worse. God helped me. He says, I've guaranteed you I'm going to help you. Now, I don't want you to give up on living God's potential in this life. He wants you to learn to control your money. He wants you to learn to control your sex. He wants you to learn to control your, your relationships. He wants you to begin living and loving like Jesus because he says, I can make this life better than what most people live it. And I mean that. Better than what most people, I mean that. Better than what the majority of people live it. But I want you to understand, if this life's hard on you, this is as bad as it gets. It gets better. After you die. See, he's trying to tell them. He's got this multitude of people. He's trying to tell the disciples. Now, why does he tell first disciples? Because those guys, one of them's going to betray him, okay? But the rest of them, ten of them are going to die by persecution. One of them is going to die naturally. That's John. And they're going to remember, this is the worst it gets. This is the worst it gets. That's what he's trying to bring out to them. It only gets better from here. That's why, listen, if we, when we get into the book of Philippians, Paul says this, to die is gain. See, it only gets better from here on when I die. That's what he's trying to tell me. Now, don't give up experiencing God's potential in this life. I'm not telling you. None of us should, should be saying, I want to die, I want to die. Because if it was all about dying and being with God, when we became a Christian, he would have just took us in. We disappeared. We just disappeared. But Jesus said, see, Jesus left that great experience of relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And he came to where it gets worse for the purpose, as he said, his mission was that God has sent him to help us to know God. And so he said, now I want you to understand, once you get to know me, I send you on that mission to help others get to know God. That's why these people should be doing what they're doing. And if you watch them, they grow. They do. I've watched them. And they realize it's just not about playing an instrument or singing a song. It's about a relationship with God. And I need to be on mission. Because I'm going to tell you, if Jesus is up here, well, I almost want to take the drumsticks and beat that drum. <laughs> 
He would play that drum for God's glory. He'd play the guitar for God's glory. He'd sing for God's glory. Because you see, that was his mission. And that's our mission. And I know it's tough in this world. But this is as bad as it's going to get. It's going to get better from here on. But what do you do now? What do you do in this life? Because listen, we live around those people who are yeast, who infect us with the wrong attitude and the wrong behaviors. We have them in our churches. You know, they're not going to trust anybody else because they know they're right. They know they're right. You can always see them in the churches. They don't trust the teacher. They don't trust whoever the leaders are in the church. They don't trust the pastor. They only trust themselves. There's no stepping out in faith because they're in a covenant relationship with God's people. It's always not until I'm absolutely sure it's what I should do. So how do you live in a world of people like that? Whether they're your parents, your brothers or sisters, whether they're those people at work or somebody who, who did something to you they should have never done. But look what Jesus tells them, some very important information. Look at verse 6. What is the price? Now, he moves from this. After he tells them, okay, this is about it gets. He says, what is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? And yet God did not forget a single one of them. In other words, God pays attention to his creation. That's what he's saying. You see, because some of us, we are so beat down, we wonder if God still even gives any attention to us. Is there any hope for me? Well, I don't think there is, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab a hold of my work, and I'm going to be the best worker I can be because I'm going to make the most money I can so I can have the most so I'm never going through a headache financially. I'm going to be the best lover I can be because then I can lose myself in the physical releasing of sexual expression, and so that's what I'm going to go to. You see, and I could just go after a lot of illustrations, but those are probably the two strongest in our society today. So Jesus says, I want you to understand, whenever life's beating you down because the yeast of those bullies, let me stop saying religious people, those bullies, they know it. They're the only one with the proper answer. They're reading on the rest of Luke, and they're not even paying attention to what Pastor Mike is saying, see? Because what I'm saying is not important to them. Bullies. He says, I want you to understand, when you're in that experience, and it seems like they're winning, God pays attention to his creation. Come tonight, or come this week, the Connect group, we're going to talk about that creation of man. He goes on seven, and the very hairs, now this, this, this doesn't make sense, big deal about hairs, the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't, here it is again, don't be afraid. You, 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 the human, the one being beaten down, the one that always, that, 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 that bully is always attacking, that bully is always trying to point out the bad, that bully is always just trying to rob you of enjoying your life. He says, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. In other words, if, if God knows about the sparrows, you're more important than the sparrows. You're so important that he even knows what's going on on top of your head. And for some of you, that's serious stuff, what's going on top of your head. Okay? He knows. That's what he's trying to say. In other words, you're valuable to God. He hadn't forgotten. Oh, this is great. I'm watching some wives looking at their husbands top of their heads. That's not fair, ladies. Okay? but he, you're valuable to him. You hold a place of privilege in his eyes. You're not insignificant. Sure, those bullies will do that to you. Your dad has made you feel totally as you're an idiot and you have no value. 
Your mom has told you you'll never accomplish or amount to anything. Matter of fact, if she tells you that, she probably hasn't amounted to anything, and she is infecting you, and you know what? You had heights and visions when you were little of moving up the mountain of where God wanted you, but now you're getting older, and you're realizing it's better just to take it and be like mom and dad. And you're settling for much less than God intended. And Jesus is trying to say, I want you to understand, in this experience where the bullies want to rob you of life and beat you down, God holds you very valuable. He loves you deeply. He cares about you. Now, why is this important to remember? Because you see, sometimes the bullies beat me up, just like they do you. Sometimes the bullies make me go to bed at night and cry because I think, I've never had this happen like this before. I am so useless. I'm a pervert. See, sometimes a bully, bullies will get so many other bullies with them that I and maybe one other person may be standing for what we thought was right. But you see, the culture around us, those six or a dozen or 40, just beat us down. And I begin saying, you know, I, I'm not even sure I want to take a step out in faith anymore. I ought to just get in line and follow the bullies. That's the yeast. That's the infection. And you stop trying to not be like your dad. You stop trying not to have a loss of control. You stop trying to be what God wants you to be. That's why it's important to remember this. Because if you know you are valuable, that's why, listen, you people who know me, I just love you. It's called unconditional where did I learn that from the men that mentored me? Because I wasn't the best guy. You've been around, know that, in that rebellious state of mine. And they loved me unconditionally. And where did they learn that from somebody else? And where did we all learn it? From Jesus who came and loved the very people who would try to beat him down unconditionally, that he gave his life. And you see, some of you are seeing that, and you're, you're seeking hard to, to live that. But those bullies come around, and they beat you down. You know the bully. The bully always thinks the coach was prejudiced against their kid. The bully always thinks the coach is prejudiced against their family. The bully always thinks the, the, the civil, the police are always after their relatives. You see, the bully always feels life isn't fair to them, and that becomes infectious, and all of a sudden, now listen, I'm not concerned about them now. I'm concerned that you begin thinking that. You begin thinking nobody cares for you. You begin thinking everybody's got it out for you. You begin thinking you can't get ahead. That's why, listen, some of you are so clinging to someone else for a physical relationship because you're so hungry for what God can offer you through Jesus Christ. That's why it's important to remember this because those times will come. Now look, look at what he says in verse 8. Underline those first five words. He first said he, he gave them a warning. Now he says, I tell you the truth. In other words, regard to the bullies, here's what I'm going to tell you. In regard to those who want to beat you down, here's what I'm going to tell you. In other words, this is the truth, Jesus said. Everyone, look, 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 you got to really catch this in context or else people take this out of context and they talk about the Holy Spirit in a way that Jesus never has it in his context. He says, look, now you know that and you're valuable to God. I'm going to tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledged me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge me or I will also the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. Now, look what he's saying. He's saying this. He's saying, I want to tell you, in a life where it wants to beat you down, you've got to decide who's going to be dominant. 
who's the dominant person of your life. You see, because everybody has a dominant person in their life. Sometimes that may change even. That dominant person may be you. Now listen to me. The dominant person may be you and you're making all the decisions. The dominant person may be someone else. It could be your mom. could be your dad. Could be could be the person who says, I love you. could be your boss. Or it can be Jesus. It's either you, someone else, or Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to understand, when it comes to the bullies beating you down, when it comes to life being robbed from you, Here's what you got to decide. Who are you going to acknowledge as Lord? And for everybody who makes Jesus dominant person, Jesus says, before God, I will speak for you. Now I could take you to other parts of the Bible where the Bible says Jesus is our mediator. Jesus prays. He speaks to the Father for us. I could tell you everything's on your side. See, that's what he's trying to say here. Everyone who makes me a dominant person in their life, or the dominant person, I am Lord, then I'm standing before God saying, listen, God, you see that? That's my child. Oh, yes, God, I know. I know they shouldn't have done that. But God, and God says, you don't have to tell me, son. The Father says, you don't have to tell me, son. I'm looking at your cross, and their sin is gone because of your cross. That's my child, son. I hear what you're saying, son. That's my child. Because this life wants to keep knocking you flat. Jesus wants you to realize you don't have to stay there. Now look what he says in 10. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. In other words, Jesus said, now I'm telling you, I can forgive of anything. You can even attack me, the Son of Man. Jesus, and I'll forgive you. Now somebody says, why is he mean Son of Man? If you were with me, with me earlier in Luke, Daniel prophecy, because a lot of people in this prophetic stuff, I'm not really into prophecy. Oh, I know it. I could give you a paper and I could talk about it. But the reason I'm not into it, because that's in God's timetable. It's hard enough for me to live this life, just being the man I'm supposed to be, being the husband I'm supposed to be, being the parent I'm supposed to be, and being the friend I'm supposed to be, and the pastor I'm supposed to be. That prophecy, God's going to work it. But in Daniel's prophecy, he said, when he talked about coming to the end, Moving toward eternity, he said, I saw the one who was eternal like the Son of Man. And it's a term Jesus used for his life. Anyone who knew the Old Testament would know Jesus saying, I'm the eternal. I'm the one come to deliver you. Because there's people. I was in the university. There's people who said Jesus never said he was the Son of God. He never said he was the Messiah. That's what he's saying. But we don't have time for that. Now, look, he said, anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. Okay. I forgive anyone anything, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not forgive, will not be forgiven. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can forgive anything. I'm telling you, I can forgive anything. Understand that. Some of you are holding on to that secret sin, and God will forgive you or has forgiven you. But Satan keeps saying, live in the fear. Somebody's going to find out you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have touched them. You shouldn't have spoke there. You shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't be looking at that stuff. You shouldn't be thinking that stuff. Jesus says, I can forgive anything, but there's one thing. Now, if there's one thing, it's very important we understand it. There's one thing, not going to be forgiven. And he says, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, verse 10, will not be forgiven. So what is that one thing? It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The problem is some of you talk to people who has the Holy Spirit totally disassociated with biblical words, and they tell you what it means. Now, let me tell you what I don't think it means. It's not cussing. It's not using profanity. Oh, man, you took God's name in vain. You blasphemed the Holy Spirit. 
okay? It's not denying God, okay? Peter did that. It's not doubting Jesus, who he is and his power in your life. Thomas did that, okay? It's not committing suicide because there are some people who say it's that, okay? It's not struggling with some, some sin on this, in this life. Because some people have said, you know, you're just blaspheming the Holy Spirit because you won't have victory over that. It's not those kinds of things. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is resisting, now listen to me, the ongoing, hear me, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, conviction in your life that Jesus is to be dominant, the Lord. Now why do I say that? Because he's talking about it in conviction. I mean, in, in context, he just said, those who acknowledge me before the Father, I'm going to acknowledge. Or, or man, I'm going to, in the world, I'm going to acknowledge before my Father. In other words, he's saying, people around you will know if Jesus is dominant. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean sometimes you sort of fall off the wagon. But all of a sudden, spirit conviction, you're back here. Look, look, look there on your message map. Look at the, next, the last blank. If your life's continuous commitment is to reject what the Holy Spirit is telling you about following Jesus, okay? That means as Lord, I'm not talking about you don't blow it sometimes. You should have told somebody about Jesus, and you didn't because you was frightened. You shouldn't have stole that money, but you stole it because you, 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 you were full of fear. That's what does it. You, you shouldn't have had that sex outside of marriage, but you did, okay? I'm not talking about that conviction. That Spirit will speak to you. It's where you say, I want you to know, no doubt about it, Jesus is the dominant person in my life. He's Lord. So, if your life's continuous commitment is to reject the Holy, what the Holy Spirit is telling you about following Jesus the Lord, then you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, this is where this sermon can get real long, the Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit's job. It's what He does. Now, He does other things, but one of the things He does is He reveals my sin. He reveals my distance from the Lord. He convicts me I need Jesus. He teaches me that my righteousness won't make it. He tells me Jesus' righteousness is the way. If I refuse, if I refuse to hear the Holy Spirit, then what I am saying, now listen, no, Holy Spirit of God, because that's a conviction. Remember, I've said often up here, don't you play the part of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you traditional religious people, they play the part of the Holy Spirit. Man, they badger people to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay? And then those people might give in, but they don't stay around so often. Okay, because you see, it's the Holy Spirit that brings us. Jesus says, unless the Holy Spirit convicts you, nobody can come. See, nobody can come to the Son. And when you, when you say, no, I'm not going to listen to the Holy Spirit and make Jesus Lord of my life, you're saying, Holy Spirit, you're evil, and I'm good. When you say, because you see, you don't want to trust Jesus Lord. When you say, Holy Spirit, no, I'm not going to receive Jesus as Lord of my life and follow him. You're saying, Holy Spirit, you're wrong and I'm right. When you say, Holy Spirit, no, I'm sorry, I'm telling you, Jesus is not Lord, I'm Lord. Then you just said, let's just settle this. I'm not concerned about what God wants. I'm concerned about what I want. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But, now listen, here's the big but, but. But as long as you got breath up here, as long as you got breath up here, you're not stuck in that position. Because you see, you can make a decision to turn your life over to Jesus Christ as Lord. 
you can make a decision to say, God, I'm sorry for the way I've been living. I'm sorry for me being Lord. I'm sorry for me being in control. I've been living my life going this way, and now I understand. The Holy Spirit's telling me, uh-oh, you're following yourself as Lord. It's time to repent. Repent means to change directions. That's what the Greek word means. I'm going to change directions. I've quit going my way, and I'm going God's way. Now, some of you, listen, some of you change directions, not spiritually, in your momentum because you get in trouble and your mate threatens you. And if you don't go to church, they're going to cut you off. And so you change directions. Or somebody tells you at work, now we're a church-going people. you got to start going to church, and you may start going to church. Or they might say, let's have a Bible study, and so you have a Bible study, but you don't really repent in regards to God. Repentance is, okay, God, this is the wrong direction. This is my sin. This is me being in charge. Jesus Christ died for me. I'm going to follow him. And you're going to walk with him being the dominant person. Satan's going to tell you, do some of those old character traits, and you're going to get off the road, and the Spirit's going to speak to you through somebody, some way, and you're going to come back here. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that inspired God's Word, so it tells us about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that inspires some people to stand up and talk about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who is always inspiring us to follow Jesus as Lord. Okay? So don't get mad at your mom, dad, brother, sister, pastor, whoever it is. And Jesus says, the blasphemy is if you say, Holy Spirit, you're wrong, I'm right. Forget it, God, I'm going my way. And you do not repent. Jesus says, unless you repent, you're going to perish. And you do not turn to make Jesus Lord. Now, I know some of you have done that, and your growth hadn't been so strong. That's another sermon. Okay? But Jesus is trying to tell these people, in a life that's trying to rob you, beat you down with all the bullies, who got all the answers, you make the Son of Man dominant. You make Jesus dominant in your life. He will then stand before the Father and say, that's one of our kids, God. That's him. That's, that's, that's our boy. That's our daughter. But if you don't make him dominant, you're saying no to the Holy Spirit. So some of you have done that. So what does Jesus do next? Now, in context, he says something very insightful. I'm going to end with verse 11 and 12. But he says something very insightful, listen, to the person who's walking along and who now repents and turns and makes Jesus the dominant person in their life. Not themselves, not someone else, but Jesus. Because, you see, they've got to go back out in this world. And listen, you're going to get with your friends. Your friend's going to say, what? You don't do this anymore? What? You got religion. What? It won't stick with you. What do you say? What do you say when you go back to the world and something has changed inside you, but the world has not changed? It's still trying to rob you of living life as God's potential was intended. Well, look at what he says in verse 11. And when, see, the and means this goes on with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When you respond to Jesus, you don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before the rulers and authorities. In other words, now listen to me. When you are encountered by people who do not believe in Jesus, that's all he's saying. Now for them, they would. Peter, James, Peter and John, they were, they were in the portico or the porch of the temple. And they were helping some man to know Jesus. And the religious leaders called them on the carpet. See? In other words, they would get called into the synagogues and the temples and have to answer to the bullies who say, you can only do it our way. Jesus isn't a part of our way. But for you and I, we don't get called in. You know, the mayor's not going to call you in and say, now I know you're following Jesus and you refuse to do that sin. But you know who will do that? 
when you go back to the tavern and you refuse to indulge in their drunkenness. Because that's wrong, the Bible says. When you get with the people who say, let's live sexually free, unoppressed, what do you say? When, when, when you're a business partner says, let's be dishonest, what do you say? What do you do when your mate says, what, you got Jesus? Now, I don't got Jesus. You're going to want me to change. What do you say? See, Jesus is a real person who speaks to a real culture. Our problem is we have made it all about the church, and we've quit speaking to that culture, and we only talk so this culture can feel comfortable. Jesus saying, so when you get called on the carpet, somebody's saying, wait a minute, what's going on in your life? Look what he says, don't worry. See, because we live under the fear of people who think they got all the answers. And they're always beating us down. They're always intimidating you. They're always pointing to the wrong. You may be hanging out with some people trying to live for Jesus. And they say, yeah, but I saw them. See, they're always trying to tear it down. He says, don't worry about how, look, to defend yourself or what to say. Oh, man, I hate this. I'm going to go to tavern, and I'm not, those guys, man, they get telling these dirty jokes about these women. You know, women are God's creation. Man, and and they're going to say, have another one, and I know, hey, i got to stop. Man, anybody knows a body can't overindulge, see? Or or, or she's going to say, or he's going to say, hey, let's, come on. Give it out, man. Give it out, gal. See, what do I say? Jesus is Christ. And I'm going to go back into this world of bullies. And, and, and man, I don't know what I'm saying. Jesus says, listen, when they call you on the carpet, and that is your trial. Do you understand? When they call you on the carpet, don't worry. Don't, be, don't, don't try to figure out how you defend yourself. Look what he says. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. Now, you may, you may go ask somebody else who maybe seems to be walking a little bit closer to the Lord and say, what would you do in this situation? The Holy Spirit may provide answers to that person. You may look in the Scriptures, and there's definitely some answers there. Or it just may be he's speaking right here, and you sit down at that bar, and the Spirit says, that's, that's two, or that's one. No. You're using that to escape. You don't have any of those. I know you're there because you want a relationship. There's no agenda at the tavern. But no, you're using it to escape. You're not turning to me. You're turning to it. None. See, he may say none. No. No. You you, you can't give your body to that person. You're not married to them. No. Mm -mm. That's not what I want you to do. The bullies will tell you, you're you're just going to be an oppressed person. No. No. I refuse, I refuse to think that evil thought toward that person. I refuse, see? The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. People of the world says they'll beat you down. They'll get the upper hand. So what happens? You get out there, and here you go. You find yourself, the Holy Spirit saying, he's speaking to you. So you say to the person, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't want it anymore. No, I don't want it. You mean don't want it? That's not what I want to do. No, no. I'm sorry, we're going to have to break up. I'm not going to do that anymore. See, somewhere in there you might say, because of relationship with Jesus, there's a change taking place. Now listen to me. If you don't live in love like Jesus, you will become the bully. Do you understand that? You become the bully just because you won't do something bad. 
You live and love like Jesus. Uh, best answer. 16-year-old boy two weeks ago sat at Hardy's with me and said, we were talking in a motel room with some high school people, and they said, do you believe in abortion? And I, I and, and they asked me, and they asked, whenever I said, I don't believe in abortion, they said, they said, uh, uh, is that because of your religious conviction? And he talked. And so when he got all done, he said, what would you have said? I said, I would have said this. You know, we all have a worldview. We all have a worldview. Some of our worldview comes from God. Some of our worldview comes from society. Some of our worldview comes from our family or parents or maybe something we read or studied or an experience. We all have a worldview. My worldview says this. If somebody says, I had an abortion, what do you think? I'm just asking, how can I help you? You've got to be hurting. Man, that teenager, if you were that teenager, go, whoa, that would have worked in the motel talking to these other kids. See, that's living loving like Jesus. No, people who are religious, now please, people who think they know all the answers, they got to correct everybody. People who live like Jesus, they just got to love everybody. And so when you meet these people, it may just be, I'm sorry, no, I'm, I don't want any tonight. No, no more. Or no, I'm sorry, we're going to break up. Or no, you know, I forgive you. And they're going to ask why. And somewhere in there you'll say, because I met a man named Jesus, and he's changed me. And if you live in love, listen, if you live in love, over time, they're going to watch you. And when you make a mistake, you're going to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. <laughs> I, you know what I did last week? I want to tell you, Mike, I shouldn't have done that. You're going to say to the person, okay? And they're going to notice that. They're going to see your living by that dominant person, Jesus, and others living by their own dominant person themselves or someone else. And they're going to say, You've, got a, you, you've just got a freedom. I wish I could get it. I wish I could get it. Listen to me. Allow Jesus to liberate you from your fear. Listen to me. Allow Jesus to liberate you from your fear, and God will use you to liberate others from their fears. But the people who run with you, the people who live with you, the people who are your friends, the people you genuinely care for, you won't help them find liberation until you let God bring liberate, liberation to you. Allow God to liberate you from your fears, and God in time will use you to bring liberation to other people from their fears. How do I know that's true? Because I've been with you five years, and I'm looking over people that I know because of the liberation you have experienced in some areas of your life, some of your family are beginning to pay attention to that freedom. They haven't quite got it, maybe, but they know there's a difference that can be had. Do we have a question? I'll tell you what, no questions. Let's do this, 10 after. Almost went two hours, okay? I'll handle that over the email. They'll eat it and I'll let me. Thank you for being patient with me, okay? Let's just bow together and then we're done. Father, thank you. May this gold that we received, may it bring back the riches of a life that lives the potential you intended. May the investment advice we heard, may it bring dividends in our marriages, in our families, and where we work, and where we play. And God, may this romantic advice that you've shared with us today 
may it cause us to be people who live and love like Jesus Christ. In His name and to His glory, we gather and we live.